Just a quick heads up, The Holy Hive Show does contain adult language that may not be suitable for sensitive listeners and children. From Salt Lake City, this is The Holy Hive Show. I'm Jordan Delacruz for HolyHiveUtah.com, and with me as always, Daniel Lawler. What's up, Dan? Nothing much, just hanging out, maxing out with some new glasses on. Dude, they look good. If you can like see them, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see these fancy boys. They're really fancy. I look like a real art boy now. I think I, I kept saying I think you look like Dallas Green from City and Color. I think that that is a, a nice compliment. That's a good honestly. compliment. I think yeah, that's yeah. a that's a handsome man with a great voice. How's your How's your Spanish lessons going? I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, bien, bien, yeah, muy bien, <laughs> How, truly. Are Are you gonna try to do any kind of immersion practice? Um. Right now, my girlfriend's really trying to get me to just memorize the, like, keep hands and arms inside the the vehicle Disneyland spiel. Oh. Bienvenidos. Like I, the, I actually know that. Hold on. I, I swear I know. Um, wait, no, I know the one from uh, the monorail. Mm. I don't, I don't um, think you have to keep your hands and legs inside that no, one. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes, it goes, uh, when the monorail's taking off, the doors are closing. Oh, okay. And then so the speaker goes, please stand clear of the door. And then the Spanish is, uh, por favor, manténganse alejado de las puertas. Perfect. Does that sound right? I don't know. I can't. Remember. I'm not that far. Pretty much I'm doing the basics. So it's like eat, drink, sleep. I know, you know, I know how to ask where bathrooms are. I know how to say I want to go to the beach. Yeah. You're getting there. Well, we'll check in with you I'll, next week and see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe you can do, uh, we can do a read or something like that in Spanish. Oh, I would love to. <laughs> to test some of your skills. Uh, so I was looking at something, or I, fa- I ran into something on Twitter. I think it was a couple of the uh, uh, journalists from the Salt Lake Triv. They were bouncing around this photo. And it was a picture of uh, a nightclub from last weekend. Yeah. And it was, like, packed wall-to-wall with people. And Salt Lake City's in full party mode. Yep. It's, it's happening. We've moved on, I think. We've gotten tired of the virus, and we're like, hey, let's try this herd immunity. It can't be that bad. Aren't you stoked that we're, that coronavirus is over? Oh, absolutely <laughs> stoked. I'm just going to, you know, start touching everything, breathing everywhere. Dude, I, I when I was watching when I when I saw that photo pop up, I looked at it and once I realized what they were saying because I think they were like they made some kind of wise crack about the photo, but when I was looking at it and I was like looking at observing what was going on, I noticed I was holding my breath. Oh yeah. Like, I wasn't breathing just because like looking at a picture of a crowd was freaking me out. Yeah. Yeah, I believe it. I do that when I'm watching something and someone's holding their breath. Like if someone's underwater, I'll just like hold, I'll catch myself holding my breath too. Yeah, this, this kind of freaks me out that people are just like, not, not even like, I I, kind of understand the like restaurants. We, I went to a restaurant for the first time since February, I think. What was the restaurant? It was a restaurant um, downtown called Gnome. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's like N-O-H-M. Oh, okay. It was like incredible, but the, they are extremely like diligent in mm-hmm. uh, like in the surfaces, like they don't even, you can't even eat inside the restaurant. So yeah. I think they only book out a certain uh, uh, number of people in the evening and then there's no menus or anything. It's just like we were serving this course, like these courses. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was um, my girlfriend and her family and we were outside on a patio and like the, the servers had masks and stuff like that. And, um, they took our temperature before we sat down and everything. So it was like, wow. Yeah. They had like every base covered and it felt honestly felt pretty safe and being awesome. outside, it's like a little bit different. Yeah. Um, I've only had my temperature taken at the eye doctor. 
Oh, that's really? the only place I've been with it. Like, I got to take your temperature before you come in. I, I, I've been, I've, the, the restaurant was one of them. And then the other place that I got my temperature taken was the Mac, MacBook store. Or the, Interesting. The, Mac store, the Apple store. Um, yeah. They, and <laughs> that was the first time actually that I saw uh, someone freak out because of like the, the precautions. Oh, really? Yeah. Someone was yeah. not too pleased. So it was at City Creek and uh-huh. they have, you go, when you walk in and there's the Mac store and then they have like a, a queue um, with those, you know, those dividers. Yeah. Um, so they make like a, a maze with the dividers. And before you can go into the, into the line, they take your temperature and then they have you read down the board of symptoms. They're like, do you have any of these? No. Okay, cool. You have a mask, get in line. And some lady was like, I, I just want to look around. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, the woman there like taking temperature, she was like, Oh, no, that's fine. You can go look around, but we're, we're making, making sure everyone is with an Apple employee so they can like make sure everyone's main and they can answer questions and everything like that. So like, it's a very curated thing now. Like, yeah, you're assigned an Apple employee and you stick with them the entire time. Mm-hmm. And I just went in and bought a computer that I, I paid for online. I just picked it up. But like, she's like, no, 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 no. I, I'm not going to buy anything. I just want to look around. And she's like, I know, but still we have to have, we have to take your temperature. We have to. And she's like, okay, never mind. I just, no, I just won't go in. <laughs> she went to the Disney store instead. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, even that, like, even going to a restaurant, I was like, am I ready for this? Like, am I, we're, okay, we're, we're doing this, we're doing the restaurant thing. And then we found out um, how strict they actually are. And I was yeah. like, okay, that feels okay. Following CDC guidelines and all that. Yeah, yeah. you know, just basic, you know, pandemic guidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I see this photo of just a packed club. It's um, pretty. It's pretty gross. I didn't see any. I saw the same photo earlier this week. It was the, the Salt Lake Tribune Robert. Gerke, is that how you say his name? I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah, I saw him post that as well. And I yeah. didn't, I mean, like, it's hard to see because it's a bit pixelated, but it didn't look like any of the service staff was wearing masks either. Yeah. Which just seems at this point, like, illegal. It's like an yeah, actionable that's just, offense. Yeah, what? Maybe I, they'll get life that, in prison. I mean, so, I mean, it just goes to show that, like, you really can't, like, depend on, like, humans to just, uh, or our community to kind of govern itself when it no. comes to, like, stuff that affects other people like this because um, people are just going to do what they want to do. And um, I, I I think it was that same tweet where he was like, Salt Lake can no longer talk shit on Provo yeah. <laughs> or Utah County or anything like that. That's exactly right. Lo and behold, though, today while we were prepping the show, I went on Twitter and I found that video, this video of, uh, I don't it's, I think it's a nightclub in Provo. Um, and it's just, again, packed with people dancing. And... No one's wearing a mask. Yeah, people are just like right next to each other drinking mocktails. <laughs> mocktails. Um, yeah, I think this is pretty gross. I think it's pretty <laughs> I, irresponsible. Not, yeah. And it's selfish. Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, it sucks the the situation that we're in right now. And like I want to go back to movies. Yeah. And movies aren't even a place where you're like slammed wall to wall. I mean, kind of, but you have like a little bit of space. I know that movies are right now are doing like the checkered seating. So like every other seat is empty yeah, um, at half capacity. And I don't even know if I would feel like good doing that. I wouldn't feel particularly good being, my big thing is just not wanting to be indoors where air is circulating, you know? Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> um, I want to be outside where the air is kind of just free and not like in a circular motion, I guess, of like air conditioning systems. Yeah. Like when you go into a nightclub, it's just like, mostly breath yeah. that you're inhaling. Exactly. <laughs> like that's mostly what it is. And people are drunk, so they're not going to mind like people's space and they're not going to be like super aware of 
guidelines or following certain rules if they're just getting hammered and trying to dance and stuff like that. So like nightclub, nightclubs in particular just seem like kind of sketchy right now or really sketchy right now. Um, let's do some news. Let us do it. All right. So this last week, God hath spoken. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints announced modifications to its policies regarding morality issues such as birth control, surrogacy, and that sweet, sweet medical marijuana. Sweet, sweet medical marijuana. <laughs> These revisions come in the form of their newly updated general handbook, which outlines policies and procedures for members of the church. Specifically, Chapter 38 out- outlines the church's faith-based policies on social issues. This section saw many revisions, but is preceded by a disclaimer from the church that states, quote, A few policies in this section are about matters that the church discourages. Church members usually uh, do not experience membership restrictions because their decisions about the because of their decisions about these matters. However, all people are ultimately accountable to God for their decisions. So it's like <laughs> kind of just like a half-assed, like, "Hey, look at these are our stances on it." But yeah. ultimately, the big guy decides. Don't do this, but also we're not telling you not to do it. Yeah, it's a as as someone who usually doesn't like to be held accountable for things that's a good move. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So, I just wanted to take a look at some of these changes real quick. Um so uh these actually so uh, I'm I'm pulling all of these my, my kind of I did go through the handbook cuz they actually have a digital version online. Okay. But I pulled most of these. Is this the hand is the handbook the word of wisdom? Is that what you're talking about I think or that's is different. this a completely different thing? Yeah. Okay. Also, we're not Mormon, so <laughs> we don't we we just have like a surface understanding of the church and its op, op and its goings on yes know? so i think it's different from like the word the word of wisdom okay guidelines this is like the i think this is the new member handbook the the new member handbook is a little like more fast and loose where it's more suggestions and the word of wisdom is a bit more i think the word of wisdom is kind of suggestion, suggestion. based yeah right. i think it's a lot of suggestions isn't that where the coffee stuff is that's like the whole thing all right yeah either yeah, way i think that's yeah this is this is like mormonism for dummies it's like the entry level handbook like you're part of the team here you go here's okay. your book here's your jersey all right <laughs> um so my yeah so this is kind of this is coming from uh peggy F- peggy Fletcher Stack's article at Salt Lake Tribune. Um, so here's one of the changes. While sperm and egg donations from anyone other than the husband and wife are still discouraged, the decision is, quote, ultimately left to the judgment and prayerful consideration of the potential donor. So you can donate sperm and eggs. It's still discouraged, but it yeah. seems, you know, and that's, I think that's nice. Yeah. Um, I think that's, it's, a, it's, it sucks that it's discouraged, you know, especially yeah. in, Mormonism or the LDS religion, I know they don't particularly like being referred to as Mormons anymore, um, but members of the church, I know that they are, it's a, it's especially fam- a family-based religion. You yeah. Know? I mean, more than, I would say more than most as far as I know, and I'm no religious studies scholar, but they're a family-based religion. And so it's really sad that some people who aren't able to conceive are left feeling a bit guilty about it, you know, yeah. feeling lesser than, and then you have guidelines saying that they can't. So it's good that they're at least saying it's up to you now and that it's not like a de facto sin, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's where a lot of these kind of adjustments come from is like, I think they're trying to discourage judgment between members. Yeah. Like, I mean, first of all, if you're, I, I mean, when I when I talk about the LDS Church, I I completely separate like the members from the organization. Absolutely, because I think that's important with any yeah, religion. Yeah, you like really have to. And so like, 
I'm glad that the organization, like I, I wasn't surprised that I'm, I, it doesn't surprise me that they had something that said maybe, you know, sperm and egg donations are discouraged or something like that. It doesn't surprise me. But if you're a member and you're judging people for, you know, taking these routes to start a family, like we all deserve happiness. Yeah. And if like, that's come on. If that's, yeah. And if that's what you need to be happy, then you deserve it. The LDS faith is, is much more like follow these guidelines and people stick to it. Like, Mm-hmm. Being born, being born into a Catholic family or, or you know, a Christian family or a non-LDS Christian family, um, it seems like they're just a little, little more lenient. And maybe that's because that religion is yeah. thousands of years old, and so it's like, ah, we yeah. got, we got tired of trying to police masturbation. Yeah, two centuries ago, <laughs> we started getting into trouble yeah. breaking into people's houses. And <laughs> exactly, and so, and so, I, I one sometimes I do wonder, like, it, it's I find it so interesting how the LDS faith and people within the LDS faith are really, really, they follow it to a T in a lot of situations, whereas Uh other religions are more like the Easter Christmas Catholics. You know what I mean? Like there's an actual term for, for the, the more casual worshipers Mm. of Catholic faith. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing too. I think that's where all these kind of like adjustments come from is that like members of the church do take their guidelines serious. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that, but, you do like it, if they're going to take them serious, they're going to take their doubts about them seriously. And they're going to bring that up. And I think that's where this comes from is like people, members who are maybe struggling with um, fertility or things like, you know, they don't want to feel guilty about it. So they're talking to people in the church and then it you know goes up the ladder, probably a lot slower than you would want it to. But, um, but here we are. Anyway, uh, next point. Surrogate motherhood is also discouraged, but, is a quote personal matter that is ultimately left up to the judgment and prayerful consideration of the husband and wife. In addition, <clears throat> and this is the really interesting point. <laughs> um, in addition, babies born to a surrogate mother are not quote born in the covenant says the new wording. So couples must apply to the first presidency for their children to be sealed to them. Meaning, uh, meaning they would be their children in the hereafter, which I'm assuming means like the, afterlife so it's kind of just like an asterisk on your baby <laughs> i guess so like <laughs> yeah i guess so yeah like it's like it's a technically not your baby because is that how they do it with adoption you have to like apply for, for i would assume so of? yeah okay. yeah i think i think that's maybe the way it goes is like you have to be sealed to okay yeah but if you do do it you have to we have to go through some extra things yeah. so we make sure you guys all go up at the same time you must fill out the proper paperwork proper <laughs> um okay sex education um as a part of their responsibility to teach their children, parents should be aware and appropriately seek the, uh, to influence the sex education taught at school. Parents teach correct principles and support school instruction that is consistent with the gospel. So essentially, it's like you're responsible for teaching your kids about sex, and you should be vocal in your school districts about the you know having a consistent. I'm not sure what their 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 policy is. I actually I dug into it a little bit and it's still like kind of vague. Yeah. Like I they in this very like handbook, there's a digital version of it online if anyone wants to check it out. It's actually really interesting to kind of dig through, but um under sex education it basically said you know, talk to your kids, make sure that and it had some like helpful bullet points. So it was like have talks that are at the maturity level of, you know, your child's age. So don't like go too intense when your child's yeah. really young. But as they get older, maybe get a little more into it. doesn't say anything about, like, birth control. It's just all, you know, abstinence. Abstinence-based. And that's yeah. kind of where my big problems come in with with not even just LDS, but 
religious um, religious institutions having a say in any sort of sex education is putting the onus on the parents is an innately awkward thing. Like parents mm-hmm. in general are already awkward talking about sex. Yeah. And when you add on, and you know, obviously no offense, when you add on the entirely awkward nature of how Mormons talk about and think about sex, it's just like, it's just an added layer of just like, I think it's left unsaid most of the time, I would say. I think the parents are often not talking to their children about sex and it is left up to the school, you know? Yeah. So I, I don't know. I still remember like the most, <laughs> not to throw my dad through the ringer right now, but <laughs> the, like, I think the most intense like sex talk that my dad ever gave me was um, I got strep throat one time Yeah, and uh, we were in the hospital and they were running some tests. And so they took like a six inch swab and they put it in the back of my throat and they ran tests on it. And after the nurse left, he goes, did, did you see that long Q-tip? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, if you get an STD, they put that in your penis. Wow. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? There you go, Ed. <laughs> Shouts to Ed Delacruz. I wonder what if he remembers thing. that. Yeah. And, and I was like, uh, it did, did instill some fear in me. Cause yeah. I was like, I don't want that to happen. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, that is the kind of, that's the gray area where a lot of the problems happen though, is like, mm-hmm. you know, really innocent young teenagers They're you know, mentally they're innocent, but their bodies start to kick into, yeah. you know, they, they, uh, revert to their savage nature and they're just like, <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, I do think that they maybe need to adjust that a little bit to talk about like you, know, you have to have a safety net for this. Let shit educators like, educate. Yeah. That's yeah. my opinion. What do they have to say about weed? Um information on medical marijuana has been added, which approves the use of the drug for medicinal purposes as long as its use is deemed quote medically necessary by a licensed physician or other legally approved medical provider and the person follows quote the prescribed dosage. That last line, <laughs> when has there ever been a prescribed dosage of marijuana? Truly. It's like, like you need to take one puff of marijuanas. Yeah, you need to have one half of a marijuana it sound, it, it does sound a bit naive. It It's extremely naive. Yeah. And, but, like, it's like, I'm not, like, I'm not going to be like, you dork. Like, these people, like, don't, the people that are writing this don't smoke. They don't weed. know. They don't know anything about, like, weed I mean, culture. You could, say, like you could say your prescribed dosha, dosage with uh, an edible. I could see, That's like, true, yeah, take yeah. one... Take one 10 milligram cube, you know, yeah. per headache or something. But yeah. when it comes to burning the leaf, which you're not actually allowed to do in Utah anyway, yeah, uh, or heating up the leaf into a vapor, mm-hmm. um, like <laughs> how can you prescribe a dosage for that? I don't really understand. I don't think, I don't think they do. Like, I don't, I don't think, don't. I think they're just like, try this, try that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of like those use at your own discretion type sure. things. Like. Um, Valium, yeah. Oh, no, well, I mean, I, <laughs> I I know like things like Valium and like Xanax and stuff like that have doses. Yeah, but it's used when necessary. Yeah, it's used when necessary. It's not like a daily regimen thing. Um, yeah, and and that's what that's I think that's what mostly what medical weed is for. Mm-hmm. Um, I came up with five Mormon inspired weed strains. If they get into the business, I'm ready for it. Okay. Uh, Number one, Moroni's pipe. Love it. You like that? Yeah. It's good. It's visual, you know? <laughs> I love it. You can, the, the branding, the label makes itself. It really <laughs> does. No graphic design uh, necessary. Uh, number two, Prophet Cough. Prophet Cough. <laughs> uh, number three, Temple Lights. 
Love it. <laughs> That's like kind of inspired by like Northern Lights. Um, Celestial Kingdom Kush. That might be my favorite you one. You like that one? Yeah. I really like that one. <laughs> it gets one a you lot. high. <laughs> <laughs> the highest of heavens. And then this is my this is my strain for uh C B D only, uh no THC strain, uh missionary position. <laughs> that was oh. just like I don't know. I like making little lists and I was like, if Mormons got into the business That's what they're like doing. To, I'd like to know what I, I would like to name their strains. Beautiful stuff. All right. Uh moving on to the next story. University of Utah football players are teasing a boycott of the Pac-12 if certain demands aren't met. So essentially, a bunch of college football players got together and drafted a document. And I don't think, I think this is like the wider NCAA college football. I don't, I don't know if any University of Utah players were involved in drafting this document. Mm-hmm. They've just been coming out and supporting it. But anyway, a bunch of them got together and outlined this document that um, makes demands of certain needs for them to play this year, essentially. And it's like, those things include like race things addressing racial injustice Mm -hmm. that they expect like the NCAA to do. Um, So racial injustice, revenue shares for players and uh, safety guidelines to curb the risk of COVID transmission and options to opt out of the season if they don't feel comfortable without risk of scholarship lost. Um, So one of the quotes from the document reads, and there's like a ton of these. um, It's actually, I think a pretty well-written document you can find it online, but um, a section from the uh, the document reads, quote, because unjust rules prevent the 98% of college football and basketball players who won't go pro from cap- capitalizing economically on what would otherwise be the most valuable years of our lives, including many black players from low-income homes, hashtag we are united. Um, so it's just a lot of bylines like that. All of them end yeah. with hashtag we are united, but it's a lot of things like that. Um, and you being the kind of more well-versed sports guy, I wanted to know, like, is is Utah or not in Utah? Is uh, college football and college sports altogether like just a huge fucking racket? College sports definitely are a huge fucking racket, and I think yeah. that they create moral complexities. Like, I have occasionally felt, oh, am I like kind of complicit in some of this stuff by watching this product? Yeah, I love college football. Um, I, love I love college games, football yeah. as well. College football has an environment unlike anything else. As mm-hmm. you know, college sports in general have an environment unlike anything yeah. else. It yeah. is rowdy as hell in it's a way fun. that you're not going to get from the people paying $600 for mm-hmm. seats in an NFL game. Yeah. Um, and same with basketball. College mm-hmm. basketball is also rowdy. There's just yeah. traditions built into every school that are so yeah. fun. There's more of this like deeply ingrained like community thing going on. Yeah. And the, there's like they up the pageantry in yeah. college football, which Absolutely. is fun to participate and, in. And mar- who doesn't love a marching love band? love a marching band. <laughs> a drum Incredible. Line? A drum yeah. line. Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah. That is something that I think all pro sports should take note of is mm-hmm. like get the get the band into the stadium. Get the band it, back together. It brings the yeah. energy. <laughs> but in terms of just like what they're asking for, I don't think anything is that unreasonable. Um and this is this is obviously a complex issue. Mm-hmm. There would have to be a lot of conversations about how compensation especially would be addressed, given yeah. that not every college football player plays for a Power 5 conference. Not every college football player, you know, it like is the 125th person on the roster going to get paid the same amount as the first person on the roster, right. you know. Um, so there are complexities, but it's nothing new. This this conversation's been going on for, for as long mm-hmm. as I can remember. Um and I, I am absolutely sympathetic to the idea that these people are building 
school programs on their backs and mm-hmm. getting nothing for it. Yeah. I mean, they're getting a free education, sure, but like when you look at the numbers compared to a scholarship, mm-hmm. it is so outweighed that it's almost hilarious, you yeah. know? And, you know, a lot, like you said, a lot of these people are coming from less fortunate circumstances and using football as like their escape route. Yeah. And they're putting their body and their health on the line. And mm-hmm. especially right now when COVID is running rampant throughout our entire country and world, you know, I can see why that would be a bit worrying. Yeah, for so sure. So it's, it's definitely, it's definitely rough, you know? Um. Yeah, I think the what I read when I was reading through that that document, um, I think the main point as far as like the uh, distribution of revenue shares goes is like the first thing that they want to do is they kind of want to axe excessive salaries for coaches and administration. So like the people that involved that are involved, the staff members are yeah. basically involved in these pr- sports programs are getting paid insane salaries, and then on top of that, if they do well, they get insane bonuses. Yeah. Um, and so they're like, that's the first place we start in finding like the the revenue share from the money. Um, well, one yeah. of the things is they're asking because not all sports are going to be protected during COVID. You know, football mm-hmm. is obviously a huge cash cow. Basketball yeah. is a huge cash cow with the with March Madness getting billions of dollars from from auto dealers and TV networks and everything. Yeah. But like the run of the, like you're, you're not going to get as much college baseball. You're not going to get gymnastics. You're not going to get lacrosse. Those things are kind of falling by the wayside. Yeah. Uh, during COVID. And for like, they say specifically in this player's tribune article that you're an article that you are referencing, um, end lavish facility expenditures and use some endowment funds to preserve all sports. As an example, Stanford university should reinstate all sports discontinued, by tapping into their twenty-seven point seven billion dollar endowment, I can see why they want that. <laughs> yeah, like you can't throw them a bone. Yes, you know, twenty-seven billion is a lot of money. Ugh. And, and I'm, I, yeah. just some more numbers, just to like mm. add on to this. Like maybe we could figure out something here. Yeah, I like Kyle Whittingham. You and I have worked with Kyle Whittingham in the yeah, past. Yeah, he's a really cool dude. He's a great guy. Yeah, but Kyle Whittingham gets paid three point three million dollars per year. He is the highest person, highest paid person in the state of Utah. Really? Yes. Um, in the year 2019, Utah Athletics brought a brought in 99.5 million in revenue. Yeah. In uh, the Pac-12 signed a three billion dollar television contract with ESPN and Fox Sports that allows them to air their athletic events. Yeah. But we can't pay college athletes to, for their likeness, you know, like. How many uh, number 11 jerseys do you see it at Rice Eccles on a Saturday, you know? Mm-hmm. And those are all very clearly yeah. Alex Smith jerseys. They just yeah. don't say his name on them. Yeah. You know, and so he deserved some of the money from that. They were getting, they're literally getting money off of off of free labor. And Dude, I understand and they're getting scholarships. That's always going to be the argument is like they're getting education. And yeah. it's like, sure. I don't know. Yeah. Is no, that really worth no, it? No, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um... And just like kind of what they're sacrificing, and it's 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 that it's their it, it's different from like someone who's excels in in a certain field, yeah. and they get a scholarship that way. Um, they might be sacrificing their social life or like their time or something like mm-hmm. that. But like when someone's sacrificing their health and generating billions of dollars, yes, then it doesn't it doesn't seem completely out of the question that maybe they should get compensated for that. And to to your point about. Um, 
Kyle Whittingham, like he's, he's a, he's a really cool dude and we don't want to like necessarily bankrupt him or anything no. like that. And, but it's like, it's ext- the, 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 the amount that he's getting paid is extremely excessive. Not mm-hmm. saying that he can't like, if he's still making a six figure salary, that's good. He's, he's, That's a- he's still going to be pretty wealthy. And, um, and so like, I'm not saying that like, uh, people, especially, and I think, I think administrations who, um, who train winning teams, it doesn't seem crazy to me that people that do really well, you know, get a little extra, sure. a little extra something, something. Cause it does it like those, those types of things enrich the, the university's program. Like if, if, if the University of Utah takes home a Pac-12 championship, there's there's money that goes into the school because of that, mm-hmm. and so there's no, I don't necessarily think that there's anything wrong with someone getting paid well no. or getting a bonus for doing their job well, but Kyle Whittingham is you know brilliant of a coach as he might be and as nice of a guy as he might be, he's only one piece of the puzzle for this whole industry. Yeah, and and most of the pieces of the puzzles of this industry aren't getting compensated at all. <laughs> well, the University of Utah raised their tuition significantly when they got into the Pac-12, and they got into the Pac-12 because of their football program. Like yeah. every aspect of that school is more expensive now than it was before they were in the Pac-12, and they are in the Pac-12 because of their football program, because of Alex Smith and and what Coach Urban did, Urban Meyer. Yeah, yeah. And because of what Kyle Whittingham and the 2008 team did in the Sugar Bowl or the Cotton uh-huh. Bowl, I believe, to Alabama. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it is, I think it is ridiculous. And I think it does, it is impossible to look at this and not see some racial, you know, racial disparities here when these kids, 18 to 22 year olds, it's hard, sometimes it's hard to remember that they're 18 mm-hmm. to 22 years old because they're huge, yeah. they're huge human <laughs> beings, and they're also on our TV, and sometimes I think yeah. that there's like a bit of a, of a, of a disconnect Oh, yeah, there. for sure, yeah. But like they are either in school, at practice, or playing games, you mm-hmm. know? They do not have time to hold down like a nine to five to pay for things outside of those, you know? Yeah. And they can't even accept money from friends. They can't accept money from from a random booster, you know, like why can't a rich person in Utah just give sponsorships? And and so that obviously favors like the, the people from affluent families. And so when you have the, the kids that are coming from the low income, um, they're just kind of left to fend for themselves. And oftentimes, Mm -hmm. sometimes they do take some money from someone. Mm -hmm. I know an Ohio state player got like free tattoos and his like national championship trophy was like taken from him. Like it's ridiculous. And yeah. when they do do stuff like this, the NCAA, NCAA punishes students. They don't punish organizations. They take scholarships away from schools instead mm-hmm. of like, I don't know, just do fees, I guess. Just make them pay fines. I have no idea the fix. Yeah. I guess the fix is to let them fucking accept money, yeah. but I don't, I don't know. It's almost cheesy like how marketed and how like, uh, how how sold everything all of those assets are like it's, it's when insane. when we're at a football game and it's like another first down presented by Ivory Homes every yeah. two minutes I yeah. hear that yeah yeah we can pay some players uh, a celebration of life it's it starts with some sad news and uh, the sad news is that last week uh, Wilford Brimley the mustachioed act, uh, Utah actor who brought joy to our hearts and insulin to our pancreases died a week ago at the age of 85. 
He had a decorated career that included classics like The Firm, Cocoon, and The Natural. He's bumped shoulders with uh, Hollywood's most legendary actors, including Jane Fonda, Robert Redford, Tom Cruise, Paul Newman. Um, he's also starred in one of the greatest horror films of all time. Do you know which one I'm thinking about? The Thing? The Thing. The Thing. Dude. Dr. Blair. Absolutely. The paranoid scientist. Legendary. Who eventually just pretty much becomes like the surrogate villain. Yeah. For the whole movie. Epic. And... This was a dude who was born in Salt Lake City and died in St. George. He was a lifelong Utah. And um, I think most of the people our age probably know him from the meme that he kind of... That beat us. Yeah, he inspired, which is the Liberty Mutual commercials and infomercials where he talks about his struggles with diabetes. <laughs> and now it seems like 90% of the time when I hear someone talk about diabetes, they say diabetes. Mm-hmm. It's like really changed the lexicon. Um, so I just wanted to play a little clip from that Liberty Mutual uh, infomercial. <laughs> Good morning. I'm Wilfred Brimley, and I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes about diabetes. Actually, about <laughs> diabetes and how it's affected me in my life. I'll start when I was first diagnosed. He's, this goes on for five minutes. So we're not going to watch the whole thing, but like... He's a good voice to listen to. Absolutely. I love listening to his voice. And he he does, he plays like in a lot of the movies that he was in, he plays like kind of the gruff character in his look and his sound, like that mustache. Dude, that mustache <laughs> walked so that Sam Elliott's mustache could run. <laughs> it's epic. That's my mustache takeaway. That, I, and it, I kind of like Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott's kind of that same kind of figure. Where Absolutely. He's like, the voice, the voice and everything. And the demeanor. And yeah, and like you hire Sam Elliott for a certain reason. Um, so I actually didn't know this until I started doing research when I knew I wanted to talk about Wilford Brimley. Um, I wanted to, I, I started doing some research. I actually had no idea about this, but he was a spokesperson for Quaker Oatmeal. Yeah. In our own, Utah's own Wilford Brimley was doing Quaker Oats commercials. <laughs> I just want to watch a couple of these because they're amazing. And also just, we've, some some would say that we've come a long way since 90s advertising. I think we're falling behind. I think this is the peak of, of advertising and commercials. Every day should start with Quaker Oats. Oatmeal is back in the news. Doctors <laughs> confirm again, if you're on a low-fat diet, oatmeal can help reduce your cholesterol. And oatmeal, of course, has no sodium. Also... Now, there's <laughs> some good news for you. Of course, I've known that for a long time. I learned it by making Quaker Oats part of my own diet. For my own good heart, my own good health, and just feeling good every day. Oh, wait, here's the end. Oh, that hat. Oh, dude, the hat. The hat, dude. I love it. See, like, I think I think that was part of his, like, kind of personality, too. He's, like, unapologetically Utah. Yeah. He's got, like, the rancher <laughs> hat. And I think he... I, I think when Robert Redford met him, was, like, on a ranch. Like, he was doing, like, work with horses. Yeah. And Wilford Brimley was, like, a good horse guy to know <laughs> he looks like a good horse guy to yeah, know. yeah so like yeah the the un- unapologetically utah thing okay so hold on i want to go through another a couple more of these this one's my favorite they're incredible also what happened to jingles i know i love a commercial jingle you know when i was a kid and got a hold of a nickel i thought i was rich i didn't turn up my nose at pennies either today some folks won't even bend to pick them up well here's a bowl of steaming quaker oatmeal and I can't think of a healthier way to start the day. Cost you one nickel and four pennies. So if you can't be bothered with nickels and pennies, throw them in a jar. Start an oatmeal fund. 
Quaker Oats. It's the right thing to do. Oh, my God. <laughs> First of all, oatmeal cost nine cents in the 90s? See, I'm not a sure. A nickel and four pennies? I wonder if that's like... Per serving. Per serving, yeah. That's fucked up if they put that in the commercial, and that's per serving. Yeah. People show up to the supermarket, <laughs> and they're like, I got nine cents. I want to buy me some Quaker Oats. It's like $1.50. They're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> no, And also the uh, the kind of like morality play at the end. <laughs> it's the right thing to do. <laughs> It's it's the right thing to do, um, yeah I yeah I, I love uh, it. Do you, do you, do you eat oatmeal? Uh, e- sometimes it seems it's I not Quaker oats oatmeal. It's more of like the uh, granola e oatmeal sort of stuff. Oh yeah, with the like fruit, with fruit, with uh, seeds and stuff. If we had one person from Utah representing a certain product for the entire world, it just seems very Utahan to be oatmeal. <laughs> Truly, you know, yeah, <laughs> and just a, also the the his like he's from Salt Lake, so he's not. I don't I don't think he was like raised in rural. You know, of course, I could be wrong. Like rural Utah, but like the voice, the voice. Like, do does Utah have does Utah have an accent? I know that like we have words that we pronounce weird, like mountain, mountain, mountain or mountain, button, crick. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's kind of like Gilbert Gottfried. It's just his performer voice. Yeah. <laughs> that would be very bizarre if Wilford Brindley, you know, came off set, went home, walked in the door, and he's like, honey, I'm home. Yeah. That'd be great, though. <laughs> um, okay. Amazing. That's bad. I, I had to, like, I, want, I really wanted to watch some of those because they're, they're great. But uh, I also wanted to discuss because, again, not a lot of people, I don't, sorry, I don't think a lot of people in uh, our generation are, like, way familiar with Wilford Brimley as an actor. Yeah. And he's not, like, an A-lister, I would say. No, 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 no. I think to people like cinephiles and stuff, he's pretty iconic, especially like for like the thing mm-hmm. um, and cocoon. He has a, like a really, really good role in cocoon. So shout out to the uh, Brimley cocoon line on Twitter. It's a at Brimley line. They basically just tweet out anytime an actor reaches the exact age that Wilford Brimley was when he appeared in cocoon. Oh no. So <laughs> that exact age, by the way, is 18,530 days old. Which was Wilford Brimley's age on the day Cocoon was released. And so who who belongs in that ranks? Well, it's actually something that Wilford Brimley used to retweet quite often. And oh, say, is he hey, active on Twitter? Welcome. Yeah, he was he was pretty active on Twitter. Nice. And he was like, welcome to the club, basically, anytime it would happen. <laughs> and so um, just recently today, here, I'll just give you today's, today's uh, submissions or yesterday's submissions. Okay. Uh, Gerard Butler. Is re, he born on 13 November 1969? Gerard Butler is now 18,530 days old. So Gerard Butler is as old as Wilford Brimley was when he was in Cocoon. When he was in Cocoon. That is bizarre, actually, because I now I understand the, the appeal of that Twitter account because... It make, you, because he seems so much older in Cocoon yeah. than Gerard he, Butler seems today. If you if you haven't seen Cocoon, Wilford Brimley's role in Cocoon is he lives in a in a in a old folks' home, essentially, and him and two other old guys find that when they swim in a pool that they have youth and vigor again. They don't like look younger or anything. They can their just hips don't hurt. And then yeah. they can, you know, and then they find out it comes from some like alien life force. But like he plays a senior citizen an old man in like a senior community. <laughs> from July twenty ninth. I get older, they stay the same age. Born on November fourth, nineteen sixty nine, Matthew McConaughey is eighteen thousand five hundred and thirty days old. Wow. Matching Wilford Brimley's age on the day Cocoon was released. So is Wilford Brimley just looked seventy 
since he was like 30? Probably since he was like 14. <laughs> that mustache does a lot of heavy lifting in the age. Uh, maybe he would have looked a lot older, but he was just eating those Quaker oats. And it was, you know, the, the youth that he had left, it was, he was holding on to it. Wow. That's really funny. That's a, that's a great, like Twitter account concept. One of my favorite Twitter accounts, even though it's the same thing every day. Um, so maybe that, yeah, maybe people in our generation know Wilford Brimley from that account, but, um, I, it made me think, cause we don't have a ton of actors from Utah. We do have like a pretty good film scene and obviously, you know, the Sundance film festival brings a lot of the film industry into our state, but, um, I wanted to kind of think about Wilford Brimley and consider the question is, is he the greatest Utah actor of all time? And so I have some thoughts and I have, I have a list, um, but I want to hear your thoughts. Um, well, I know I was looking at your list and my actor is not on your list, which makes so me think a, that maybe it's wrong. So, so what did you write? I just wrote that I would have to give the edge pretty emphatically to Robert Redford mm-hmm. just for his appearance in some of the more iconic films of all time. You got Butch Sundance, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kids. You got all the president's men. Mm-hmm. You've got, Sting. you know, Sting, you've got... The Great Gatsby, like the natural, countless the natural, yeah, yeah with Wilford Brimley, um, and just for what he's done for the state of Utah with the Sundance mm-hmm. Film Festival, yeah, I would have to give the edge to Redford, but I'd put Wilford Brimley second, probably. So, so the reason why I, I I didn't consider Robert Redford, okay, is because, uh, by the time Robert Redford got to Utah, he was already a huge and successful actor, okay. And that he has a lot of business here. And I think he, and he does have a house here or maybe a couple houses here. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know if he's like a Utah citizen and I don't know if he spends the majority of his time here. Gotcha. So I think, I think Utah's more of like a business center for Robert Redford and not necessarily like the community that he came from. That's fair. And so, and, and, and there's a couple of those other kind of asterisk actors on here too. So in considering, I think these are like kind of, and some of these kind of don't hold a candle to Wilford Brimley, but some of them are kind of consideration. So first, James Woods, mm-hmm. born in Vernal. Okay. Um, from Videodrome, he plays Hades and Disney's Hercules and all its incarnations. A pretty He's good in, voice. Yeah, Casino and, and Family Guy. He plays himself in a lot of episodes of Family Guy. Um, I don't know if you know this, but James Woods blocked me on Twitter. Amazing. <laughs> because. It, He's pretty annoying on twitter he's very annoying on twitter yeah and <laughs> i can't i can't i made i made some crack at him because mm-hmm. he tweeted about something and i just like took a crack and i think he's pretty just like uh active in blocking people that yeah. don't agree with him and stuff like that but he he blocked me and it was kind of an honor um maybe a little bit more notable than wilford brimley but i don't know if he he tops yeah i think I don't know. I think Wilford Brimley, like his role in the thing is more iconic than anything James Woods, Woods has done. I would agree. Um, Donny Osmond. First of all, no. <laughs> <laughs> Second of all, uh, to just recap his career, he mostly plays himself when he's acting. Yeah. And he, in, in cameos and stuff. He was in Mulan, but only as a singing voice. Yeah. So he technically played the singing voice of a character, but the v- talking was done by another actor. Um. Ty Burrell. Okay. This is kind of another one of those asterisk things because he's not from Utah. He 
I know he, he, he owns businesses here. He, uh, he owns a, a restaurant in Park City. He owns Bar X downtown. Um, and I know, and he lives here, but I know that like when he was working on Modern Family, he had a house in LA too, but yeah. that's mostly for work purposes, but he does consider Utah to be his home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think his wife might be from here. I believe that is yeah. the thing. Yeah. He's, his wife is from here and that's why they, they have a residence in the avenues, I believe. How do you feel about Ty Burrell as an actor? Um, I don't really think about Ty Burrell as an actor. I do like, I thought he was so schmarmy or smarmy in, uh. Dawn of the Dead. Dude, he's like he a, is great a in Dawn of the Dead. Dick in Dawn of the Dead, which like, is yeah, which is so fascinating seeing where his career kind of went after that. Yeah. And like now, I'm sure he's he's mostly known for Modern Family, where he for just sure. kind of plays the dunce dad. But most of what I think about Ty Burrell is like his weird eye blinking. I don't know if you've ever noticed how much he blinks. He has a very oh, strange yeah. blink, and it seems like kind of like a. Uh, um, like an aggressive blink. Yeah. Like he like really yeah. clinches. It's very, it's very. I, yeah. That's interesting. Maybe there's something in his Wikipedia about that. I hope we're not like outing a condition or something like that, that he has. Um, I, I like Tyber. I, yeah, I like him too. I think he's, I think, I think he's good. Like he, he, he seems like he could have had like a John Hamm type career, but didn't quite, I know he, he's like really active in like stage, like acting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if he just didn't lean into film as, as hard as you know he could have i know he, he was on the incredible hulk yeah and he like i think if maybe that movie went a different way he probably could have had a bid to have a bigger role in the mcu sure um but we like ty burrell um i don't think he i don't think he's quite got the iconicness of wilford brimley yet though um maybe if he had a mustache maybe if he had a mustache uh roseanne Barr. there you go she was on my list too I had her, I had, so what I had was Robert Redford one, Wilford Brimley two, and then uh, Roseanne Barr and Ty Burrell kind of a toss up in there after that. So yeah, I think Roseanne, she, so she was a comedian first Mm -hmm. and she actually has some like crazy stories about her time in Utah and um, what it was like. I think she was a member of the church early in her life or her family was or something like that, but um so she's a comedian and I feel like most of her work has kind of been just built off of her personality. Mm-hmm. So like Roseanne, the sitcom that she was on for many years was yeah. just her being her, yeah. you know, she's just being Roseanne and any role that she had, which she doesn't have a ton of movie roles, but she's just kind of being Roseanne. Mm-hmm. So I don't think she's like acting, you know, no acting. Um, and it's, it's kind of like the same thing with Donny Osmond. It's like Donny Osmond's never like acting. He's just being Donny <laughs> Osmond. Um, Millicent Simmons. I thought this was a great addition by you. I, when I, I saw yeah. it in the notes, I thought it was a great addition. Um, she is. Yeah. I think that she is genuinely great. She's a, in. She's yeah. In the quiet. Place she's a great, or a yeah. quiet place. Whatever. She's a great actress. Um, yeah. So Millicent Simmons plays. She's a she's a deaf actress um, who was in Wonderstruck, and then shortly after that, uh, Quiet Place, and she'll be in A Quiet Place too when that comes out in twenty twenty one. Um. But yeah, no, she's like genuinely, like, I honestly think if she kind of like sticks with it, like she could have like a pretty formidable career. I think so. Especially um, with, you know, right now in film, they're kind of considering what the role of, you know, actors with disabilities, what their role is in the industry and Mm -hmm. how they can maybe branch outside of roles that are not tied to their disability and stuff like that. Um, Uh, Marley, Marley Matlin, is that her name? Hold on. Yeah, Marley Matlin, great. Like that's a, that's a great example of a deaf actress that wasn't tied to 
being a deaf act like her her role especially in like the west wing was not mm. at all it was like being deaf was not part like of her character. Tertiary, tertiary to her character like it was not first or second it was it was something that was just oh she's just a deaf actor yeah and and i should say that like I, I i mean i think that an actor who has a disability not getting parts isn't inherent to their disability it's inherent to the writers who can't write like like yeah. you said that's the woman from the west wing her character isn't hinged on that disability because the writers are writing good exactly you know, good stuff yeah. um okay julianne huff i'm i don't i don't think she's good she's just, yeah she's just kind of the, she's just julianne huff she's she, yeah she's julianne <laughs> she's, huff she's, she's yeah she's good uh she danced right i think she danced no she's um, like extremely talented yeah definitely talented i've never really bought into any of her performances yeah and yeah it's yeah it does seem like and most of her stuff like she, she was in dirty grandpa and that seems like the most like acting that she's maybe done uh-huh where she's not doing like her specialty, which is like singing and dancing, mm-hmm. um, and then her other roles like Footloose. Of course, she's gonna be f- good for that role. True. And then Rock of Ages, like she's a you know a stage performer. Um, but yeah, I agree. So this is another asterisk kind of. This choice. one I am so confused by. Really? I didn't. I don't know anything about this. Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Okay. Everyone knows Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I know her. I yeah. love her. Yeah. I'm a huge, like, honestly, on this whole list of people, I'm like, that's the one. That would be the one. <clears throat> if that, if this counts, that's the winner, in my opinion. Yeah. So Mary Elizabeth, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, she's in Scott Pilgrim, 10 Cloverfield Lane, Die Hard 4 and 5. Some Birds of Prey. She's Birds the best part of Birds of Prey. I still haven't seen it. Well, she's the best part of it. <laughs> she, she is hilarious. Yeah. Is she, w- would the movie suffer greatly without her? Yeah, I think so. Did she, you like Birds of Prey? I did I like Birds of okay. Prey. I thought it was I thought it was pretty pretty good. Okay. Especially like considering where the bar is for DC movies. Yeah. Yeah. Considering where the bar was for for that character. Harley, Harley Quinn. Quinn. Yeah. I didn't particularly love her in Suicide Squad and I definitely didn't love Suicide Squad. So. Yeah. So, Mary Elizabeth Winstead was born in North Carolina or South one of the Carolinas. Um a Carolina. A Carolina. And she moved here when she was five. So she was pretty young when she moved here. And I think her family stayed here even though she, like she went to school here and then she started kind of bouncing around to specialty schools okay, to um, train in dancing and acting. Mm-hmm. But a lot of her earlier roles are kind of like Utah industry stuff. Like she was in um, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, you know that play? Yeah. She was in a rendition of that that had Donny Osmond in it. So she was like in the kind of scene, like the Utah yeah. scene. So if you could consider Mary, Li- now obviously she's gone now. She's like not living in Utah. Mm-hmm. She's like probably doing the LA or New York thing. Um, I probably wouldn't consider her, but that's probably the closest that you would get to like, yeah. cause like at this point she's like getting to the point where she's becoming like an iconic actress. Okay. Yes. Um, so I think that we could include one more with a huge, 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 humongous asterisks. Okay. Uh, I know that Amy Adams, one of her first jobs was at the Ogden Rodeo. And Amy what? Adams would probably be my choice if we're allowing like just random like Hold up. Tourists. Wait, what? The Ogden Rodeo? Yeah. Amy Adams. Um, yeah. How, so did she, did she live here or did she apply for a job in Ogden and get it? So according to her IMDb. Mm-hmm. 
According to her IMDb, the first job she ever had at age 12 was selling licorice at a rodeo in Ogden, Utah, while staying with her grandparents. Mmm, interesting. So. It does say, okay, so I pulled up her Wikipedia. It says, uh, Adams was raised as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints until her parents divorced in 1985 and left the church. Um, so she had Mormon ties, and it looked like her father moved to Arizona. So, yes, yeah, so she had family here, and she probably kind of bounced around in, in, in and out of Utah. I just remember I was watching, I think I was watching, like, either the Golden Globes or one of those things, and they were just asking actors about their first jobs. And I was watching this live, and Amy Adams said, I was selling licorice at the Ogden Rodeo in Utah. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> that would blow my mind, too. I'd be like, what? I was like, I've been there. Oh, what do you, can you imagine? Wait, so like, I guess that would probably have been before we were going to the probably before radio, our time. Yeah. I don't know how old she is, but unless her, so we don't talk about age. Yeah. Are you starting to get self-conscious about your age, Dan? Not at all. Okay. Um, that would have been, oh, so bad at math. 32 years ago. So maybe a little bit before, a little bit before yeah. I was going to the rodeo. Damn. Yeah. So I guess like if, I mean that, yeah, that's, I think that's a huge asterisk and it kind of takes her out of out of the, I hear the, you. but if she was in there, you, oh, obviously like Amy Adams, you know, five time Academy Award nominee, I believe. So, man, we need to get her one. She's the Leo. She should have got it for her rival. Female performers. Her she and Sir, yeah. her and Saoirse Ronan, both of them. Yeah, right. Saoirse Ronan. Really? How many has she been nominated for? Like three or four? A lot. I don't know how to spell her name most of the time. <laughs> So, so you rise, so you rise. She has been not, uh, Saoirse Ronan has been nominated four times for actor. And how old uh, is she? Like 26? Yeah, she's pretty young. Um, she's 26. Wow, nice. Uh, and Amy Adams has been nominated. Amy Adams has been nominated six times. Amy Adams has been nominated six times for Oscars. What's going on, people? So. Anyway, wow. uh, so we hoped you liked the celebration of the life of Wilford Brimley. He will be missed. Everyone go watch The Thing, and uh, you can see how great of an actor he was. Or go watch, you know, I, I, say, I say The Thing because it's just a fucking awesome movie. It's great. But also, he kind of plays the same character in a lot of, like, his, like, he he does a lot of legal dramas. Uh -huh. He kind of is kind of like the gruff dude. And, like, The Thing, he doesn't have a mustache, and... He plays like this paranoid scientist. And yeah. It's dope. And um, it's just really cool that like our community brought up one of these cool actors and uh, he will definitely be missed. And everyone go follow. What was the Twitter account again? Brimley Cocoon Line. Brimley, Brimley Cocoon Line on Twitter. Or um, if you want, honor him by eating some uh, Quaker, Quaker oats. oats. Honestly. It's the, it's the right thing to do. It is the right thing to do. Uh, well, that's going to do it for the uh, Holy Hive show today. We'll be back next week. Uh, we didn't have time today for something that we wanted to do, so we're going to try to fit it in next time. So just as a little tease, we're going to start playing this game called uh, Salty Script Rewrites, where we're going to take a movie, uh, just you know, a famous Hollywood blockbuster that everyone will know, and we're going to try to rewrite it as if it took place in Utah. So that's something to look forward to next week. So uh, until then, oh, also real quick, we just – to double up on our mention from last week. Uh, if you haven't already go to GoFundMe and uh, find the uh, save Ken Sanders rare books, GoFundMe. I think they're close to like halfway through their, their donation goal. Awesome. Like, they're getting pretty close. Um, so if you, you know, I, I know, I know it's hard times, but if you have some shekels to uh, maybe kick to a good business here in Salt Lake city, a staple of Salt Lake city, 
um, go find the uh, Save Ken Sanders Rare Books GoFundMe page. Um, and honestly, if you have a chance to visit that shop, I think you have to make an appointment to go you in You do there. have to make an appointment. Call them up, make an appointment, go in, and you'll see why this place is pretty important to this community. Um, so that's it, and uh, we'll see you next week. Say bye, Dan. Oh, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>